Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm Sam Sanders, and we're going to play a game as we do most Fridays. My contestant this week, I'm a big fan of his, Josh Gondelman. Uh, he has his hands in all kinds of pots. He's a comedian, a producer, a TV writer. He does all kinds of things. Josh, first, welcome. And two, which title do you most prefer these days? Oh my gosh, thank you. What a good question. I like always describe myself as a comedy person. Okay. All right. (laughs) Because I think what I do, I consider myself a a comedian, but like by comedian, I mean like I do stand up and also I write television comedy. Yeah. Yeah. What part of your comedy life is keeping you the busiest or taking up the most of your time right now? Lately, I've been on tour doing a lot of stand-up, and I have a ton more tour dates. I'm uh, preparing to shoot a new special uh, in the fall is the hope. And so I'm really like digging in on stand-up and enjoying getting to travel pretty extensively through the U.S. and do shows for kind of the first extended run since the pandemic started. Yeah. You know what I want for a stand-up to do in a special soon? And can I just issue this challenge to you? Please. Because we're friends. Now we're friends. Mm -hmm. You know how when Beyonce did Coachella, Mm -hmm. and then there was the Homecoming special, which was like the concert video? Sure. She taped it over two weekends. Yes. But the first weekend she wore yellow, then the next weekend she wore pink. Mm -hmm. And the edits between the yellow and the pink were so, 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 so cool. Okay. Is there a Josh Gondelman special where you do two tapings? Okay. And like in the first taping, you were in a tuxedo, and then the next taping, you're wearing the Bjork swan dress. <laughs> and like for every joke, part of the joke is that like you're talking, but it's going back and forth between your two costumes. Okay. I would okay. like that. So I do consider myself the Beyonce plus Bjork of stand-up comedy. Hell so this yeah. does seem right up my alley. Hell yeah. Um, I do really like that. I, I mean, I like when a special is really visually interesting. And, and I think that's it's like... I'm trying to figure out what I want it to look like. And this with this new one, I'm going to have a little more control than I had in the last one of like the look and feel of it. And I'm really taking that potential and responsibility to heart. And I think this is certainly one way, you know, <laughs> even if I shoot two in one night, I can still change between the shows and we can cut in between. There you go. Um, yeah. I like the idea of same suit, different tie, though. <laughs> uh, okay, more subtle. I like that. A little like more subtle. That. I mean, it's just because I don't know that I have the budget for the swan dress. <laughs> it's just I, a cost-cutting maneuver. Frankly. I hear that. In this economy, you got to do what you got to do. In this economy, that's right. I do always want, at some point, a comedian to just like totally fuck with the idea of like the stool. 
All oh, these yeah. specials, the comedian is like on the stool. The stool is a character. Yep. And I think we've gotten used to just seeing the stool be there. Mm-hmm. But like, what if the stool talked? What if the stool moved? What if the yeah. stool, like, what if there were eight stools and you move from stool to stool to stool and it was saying something? I love that. I That I truly do like because the <laughs> stool is such a fixture and everybody knows the moves, right? You have a, you have a glass of water on the stool. Exactly. You, you kind of crouch on the stool when you've got something to say with a little extra gravitas yeah. and you're really going to take your time. You um, you perform a sexual act on exactly. the stool. At some as point, a if you make yeah. a sex joke, you hump mm-hmm. the stool. Yes. So I think the stool has so many of these different uh, valences and... <laughs> <laughs> and and levels that it works on. And, and I think we can add to that. I think the vocabulary of the stool can still be expanded. I think we've been pretty, honestly, I, I think we've been a little, uh, we've gotten complacent. I would agree. I would agree. And you know what? <laughs> After this taping, I'm going to send you some storyboard ideas for the special. <laughs> yeah, please. We'll a bunch of pictures of me like, uh, like wearing the stool upside down on my head like a giant crown. Yes. <laughs> while like also a- in the Bjork swan dress. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love it. Love it. Swan dress, stool crown. That's the name of the special. Oh, <laughs> you're here first. All right. When you're not getting ready for your next comedy special, you are a member of the WGA East Film TV Streaming Council. The WGA, Writers Guild of America, has been in the news a lot recently. We'll talk about that. But what does that title mean for you exactly? So I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America, which I joined when I started working on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And I come from a union family. My dad was in the painters and allied trades union for years as a glazer, doing like mostly glass storefronts and big windows for, for buildings. And my mom was in education unions. And so it means a lot to me to be a member of the guild at all. And so I'm a, I'm a council member, which means I'm part of the elected leadership of the East chapter of the Writers Guild of America. The guild, I think, has done so much in terms of healthcare and help, helping to try to secure fair wages. And, and yeah. so like being a part of this, I'm like, oh, I get to Boston immediately. But like, it's very JFK, right? It's like, ask not what the union can do for you. Ask what I can, <laughs> what I can do for the union. Yeah, buddy. Union strong. So the reason that WGA is in the news right now is because there have been rumblings for weeks, if not months now, of a potential TV writer strike. A few days ago, members of WGA voted with like a 97% approval rate to authorize a strike, which means that it's quite likely that on May 1st, TV and film writers across the country stop writing. Give like a list in 30 seconds or less of the concrete things writers are asking for in these negotiations. So writers want to compensate for the changing landscape of how things are, how how television and film are written and distributed. So it's fairer wages, uh, an updated residuals model, making sure that writers are getting the opportunity to work and build sustainable careers by compensating for things like the rise of mini rooms and short orders of seasons. So this is all just to make television writing, which is a valuable part of the industry, and film writing, which is a valuable part of the industry, a sustainable, manageable career for the people that are doing it. Mm -hmm. So the 97 
6.5, I believe, I hope I didn't embellish, percent solidarity on the strike authorization vote means that like, if we don't get a, a fair deal at the negotiating table from the AMPDP, which is the big alliance of the production companies and studios, then yeah, it's pencils down at the end of this negotiating period, which ends May 1st. What this means is, it's it's on them to come to the table and negotiate in good faith because nobody none of the writers are like oh I hope we can't work <laughs> you know yeah, it's everyone is just willing yeah. to because it it is such a there are so many issues on the table that are so important yeah I want to get into for our listeners maybe the biggest reason why TV writers and film writers are going on strike and correct me on this but it seems as if the biggest reason is that the compensation model that was used for a long time when most TV was linear, it no longer works. So like, long story short, if you were writing on a big sitcom like Friends or The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you got paid for a season that was more than 20 episodes long. Mm -hmm. And if your show went into syndication and went into reruns, you got a check as long as that was going on, Right. Yeah. Well, syndication and reruns too are like, even that's another check, right? Like a re the first time the episode re-airs, you get a check mm. uh, under this model. And then if it goes to syndication, that's a totally different, yeah. that's another revenue stream, right? So yeah, I think you put it really well. And all the that way, is gone in streaming, right? Yeah, there is there is a residual model, but it doesn't make up for mm. the difference. In, okay. you know, and for comedy variety writers, people writing for the late night type shows and the sketch shows that go directly to streaming, there are virtually no residuals compared huh. to any gotcha. kind of linear streaming. And and that's just because they the AMPTP had the power to just deny that to this point. And so that's like one of the core issues too, is that with more and more going to streaming, right? With more and more television going to streaming, um, the writers are just asking for a fair and reasonable uh, compensation for the work that they yeah. do, right? Yeah. And yeah. and so yeah, the industry has really changed because of stream. And in addition to, there's so many things that you said, Sam, that are like, that are like their own little facets of this, right? When you were writing for a show like The Fresh Prince or like Seinfeld, twenty six episodes, twenty six, tw yes, yeah, so many. And now you're doing ten episodes, right? And in, in, in many series, especially for streaming, and that's fewer weeks of work, mm -hmm. and it just is making it harder and harder for writers to like live sustainably, right? Yeah. To like have families. And this isn't about people getting wealthy. This is about people like not having to work for a short period and then spend the next several months looking for the next gig that will allow exactly. them to like pay their rent yeah. or their mortgage for the yeah. year. Well, and then on top of it, writer's rooms are getting smaller. So there's mm -hmm. fewer people being asked to write these shows. And then in some yeah. cases they'll have like what they call a mini writer's room, quote unquote. Yes. And they'll say like, write a show in a week. <laughs> and it's yeah. just like, what is, what is that? So, so a mini room is just a few writers usually making around minimum to do some of the hardest work of creating a series, right? Like breaking the stories. And this is pre, often pre the show being greenlit. And then once, or if the show goes into production, those writers often aren't guaranteed jobs working on the shows. They're not often guaranteed a, a script with a script fee. So it is like, again, the term of employment is getting shorter and shorter as yeah. these companies are trying to stretch the writer's 
thinner for less money, you know? Yeah. How do you explain this as a union member to average TV and movie viewers? You know, you'll have TV writers tweeting about how they can write on multiple shows and still need to apply for government assistance for food and income. But at the same time, you'll hear these stories about astronomical profits for these companies and the executives are making a bunch of money and these companies keep making more shows and they have money to do it. How do you explain to folks, well, yeah, this industry itself is worth billions upon billions and makes a lot of money for some Mm -hmm. people. But believe me when I say the writers are on welfare sometimes. That's a hard thing to explain, no? I mean, I think you nailed it. And I think that's true across so many industries, right? Amazon makes television. And I think it's maybe, uh, it's not antithetical to their business model that the people at the top make a lot of money and then the people that work below them do not, if that makes sense at oh, all. Oh, totally. So I want to talk about a little bit what a strike might look like for the average TV viewer. Sure. For those listening who can recall the 2007 writer's strike, it was actually a pretty big deal. You had late-night hosts basically having to totally tweak their show formats because every late-night show, they rely on a team of writers to write the jokes, right? And so you had mm-hmm. late-night hosts speaking to the fact that like no one's writing them jokes. Everywhere I go in the city for the last uh, couple of days, everywhere I go, what are you going to do? What are you going to do on the show? What are you going to do? It's one guy who follows me. <laughs> I wish he'd go, what are you going to do? You've got a whole show to do. What are you going to do? you got no writers. Well, it's true. We have no writers, and we have an hour show, a one-hour show to do every night. And then you had a lot of scripted shows cease production, and that hole was filled by a lot of reality TV, which mm-hmm. didn't require scripts or writers. And we still see the legacy of the rise of reality from that today. But the industry is different now. And a lot of these streamers stockpile these shows for a while. Is there a chance that this strike happens and you don't notice it as a viewer unless you watch Late Night? I don't know. I mean, I think I don't want to like speculate too much on what individual people's viewing habits would be. But yeah, in the event of a strike, it is pencils down, you know? And I think if all these companies thought that they could make as much programming and make as much money and have viewers not notice without writers, I think they would have done it already. (laughs) (laughs) True. Touche. Touche. Also, for those on the other side of your negotiating table. Mm-hmm. I would urge all parties involved to keep in mind what happened the last time there was a big writer strike. That pause in TV writing led to the rise of reality, which led to the renewal of Donald Trump's The Apprentice. <laughs> and some people say he would not have become president if not for that show, and that show wouldn't have been as big as it was if not for the writer's strike. So if the last writer's strike gave us President Donald Trump, Who wants to find out what a new one will give us next? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I am. It is really stressing me out imagining who would be a worse president that currently has a TV show. You know what's going to happen if they go on a writer's strike. The Kardashian clan will just make eight reality shows, and one of them will run for office. Wow. (laughs) On that note... (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go to a break really quick. 
After that, we'll play a game, and I promise not to mention any Kardashians or any Trumps. <laughs> Listeners, you hear me ask you this every week, and I'm going to keep asking you for it because uh, we need more of you to do it. If you like the show and want to support it, go rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting app. Uh, subscribe to us or follow us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts through, and tell your friends about the show IRL. Like, literally, in real life. Your next brunch, make it a point after, like, two mimosas to be like, you guys like that Vulture podcast? I bet you would. Do that for us. Thank you very much. Now to break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back. You're listening to Intuit from Vulture. I'm Sam Sanders, still here with Josh Gondelman, a man who wears many, many hats, and may soon wear a <laughs> Bjork swan dress in his next comedy special. Mm-hmm. We're and then see. a stool for a hat. And a stool <laughs> for a hat. There you go. Josh, we're here to play a game now. It's called Intuit or Not Intuit. Okay. It's very simple. I share with you three stories from the week, from the zeitgeist, from the culture, capital C. And you just tell me if you're into this thing or not into this thing and tell me why. And at the end, I will tell you if you won or if you lost based on how much I like your opinions. Okay. This is good. I am incredibly competitive with myself. So this is excruciating. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) You can do this. You or the other you can do this. One of the yous will win. Mm Mm-hmm. Aha, aha. All right. I'm listening to this in one, like I'm listening to your voice in one headphone and then my other headphone, lose yourself twice as loud. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Josh, are you into or not into Netflix trying yet again this past weekend to do live TV with that Love is Blind reunion show? It sounded like they didn't, stick the landing on this one. Girl, they so, didn't um, even get close to the airport. They they weren't even, you couldn't even see the tarmac from the cockpit. It was a, it was a bus accident on the way to an airport. <laughs> Tragic. So but this it, was wild. So they were, yes. they, so they're, Perhaps most popular reality TV, Love is Blind. They were going to run the reunion special live on Netflix this past Sunday. It got delayed. And then they finally said, we're just going to give it to you taped tomorrow. I want to say we are sorry we're late. We are no longer live, but we are now finally here. Yes. Yeah! 
And all of you at home, you haven't missed a thing. We've actually been sitting in these couches, not talking to each other. As they see that the thing is just not working, the Netflix account starts to tweet to tell folks, like, hold on, hang on. One of the tweets they sent after it didn't come on was, quote, love is dot, 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 late. Hashtag love is blind live will be on in 15 minutes. One, that was a lie. Yes. (laughs) And two, you didn't have a plan for this. And three, love is late does sound like the slogan for a brand of pregnancy test for sure. (laughs) Yes, it does. But it's it's truly like that's my heart goes out to the social media person, right? Because people talk to social media feeds like that's every like the 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 CEO of Netflix is reading them, and it's like truly someone who is a professional at doing social media, and they probably are not in the room where this live production is being stalled and they certainly don't have the capacity to fix the cameras or the stream and so it's just like you're just the bearer of bad news as the world screams at you (laughs) the only time you should tweet at the company and expect a response is if it's an airline if you get loud enough and angry enough they will give you a credit (laughs) They yeah, will give you they'll, they'll slide into your DMs yes. and they'll be like, yes. please, please, we we really need this. Stop yeah. saying, stop telling people about how delayed every flight has been since 2018. Exactly. You know, I guess my bigger question here and the real thing I want to know if you're into or not into is a streamer like Netflix trying to do live TV. Like for me, it's like, why are you into that? The idea yeah. even of Netflix trying this. If I have to take a stand, I'll say I'm into it because it's inevitable but certainly not into them trying and failing in front of everyone. Like <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, it's like getting dressed with the windows open. Damn. Damn. It seems like every streamer is getting into linear programming, realizing that they can't just grow infinitely as streamers forever. And every linear programming network is developing a uh, side-by-side streaming component. And so, like, I don't hate Netflix for trying this. Okay. But, again, it's tough because you've got to do it. (laughs) And so, like, it's, like, imagine going to watch, like, The Bachelor and then just having them be like, ah, shit, we'll Bachelor you tomorrow. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's what it's the equivalent of. And just be, and, and so I think Netflix... This is not to bring it back to labor, but like streaming is TV and should be mm-hmm. treated as such and, and yeah. compensated as yeah. such. My thing with all these streamers trying to do what they didn't first set out to do, like Amazon, yeah. I think, is doing football now, like NFL football live. Yeah. Yep. Um, it is kind of just like, are we actually secretly, quietly just going back to the TV experience we had 20 years ago? Set times yeah. for shows, live TV, bundling. Like, is terrestrial TV secretly back? My big fear is that we're not going to reinvent cable, right? Like the, like a big cable package that has all the channels. What we're going to reinvent is like four mini cables, oh, each of which costs half as much as regular cable. <laughs> and you'll have to have them collect them all like uh, the like Infinity Stones Pokemon. to watch all the shows that you like. <laughs> and so it's going to end up being the same thing we had before, but costing twice as much. Oh my God. Oh my God. So you're you're not into Netflix doing live TV? No. You can't, like, not every company needs to be everything. 
That's right. I felt that way when Subway started doing breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> I was like, you're flying too close to the sun, Subway. You're, you're lunch, dinner at best. <laughs> yes. Next question. Josh, are you into or not into a new song that dropped this week from Drake and The Weeknd? And I'll play it for you, Josh, but listeners, you won't be able to hear it, and I'll explain why in just a bit. Stand by. I'm kind of into it. Are you more or less into it when I tell you that that wasn't actually Drake and that this song was created entirely by AI? Oh, this is the AI one. Yeah, dude. It's they kind got of a bop, me. no? They, hey, look, AI kind of did it. <laughs> And I must apologize to our listeners right now. We're not going to be able to play this audio for you on this podcast because we don't want Universal Music Group suing Vulture and myself. But I know that it sounds pretty catchy. So I'm against this. (laughs) It's hard. But was your head nodding? But was your head nodding? It's hard with the song, right? It's hard with the song because intellectually, you can be like, I'm shaking my head no. But like physiologically, if you shake your butt, yes. Who do you listen to, your head or your butt? Uh, it's Yeah, it's wild. I mean, is this at all complicated for you by the very real and near prospect of AI beginning to write TV and film scripts? Yeah, I mean, I think AI taking over any kind of creative work is a distressing prospect. And like, I haven't seen it in written work, you know, even with like news stuff, you're kind of like, oh, it's so full of errors and just mm-hmm. makes more work for editors. And like, but this sounds good. It, it sounds seems like good. it should be harder, but they did it better. No, it sounds good. It is good. Yeah, it's crazy. It's funny. Like, I we've talked about AI on this show before a lot, and I've always been like, I ain't scared of it. I ain't scared of it. It's not that great. But this week, hearing this song, I was like, oh shit, they're coming. <laughs> They're yeah, coming. For sure. And like, wait until they figure out podcaster AI. I'm out of a job. Oof. I know. I, I, and it's it's never the stuff we want AI to do, just as people. Like, I wish if like AI could like walk my dog in the middle of the can night. Can AI if I don't like want to sit on the 405 bed. for me? Like, yeah, can, can right. AI like but, run to the store for me? Nope. It's always like AI is coming for your jobs. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, come on. Can it come for my errands? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of someone who has not yet been AI'd, Josh, are you into or not into Kelly Ripa now co-hosting her long-running daytime talk show with her husband? Just began this week. Joining me today and permanently until (laughs) one of us dies is Mark Consuelo. I don't think I'm into it. Ooh, tell me why. I just feel like, look, there was all, the vulture was at the the vanguard of nepotism uh, <laughs> discourse. And like, nepo babies, nepo spouses. Nepo spouse, whole next level. <laughs> yeah. She's been hosting this show for, gosh, close to two decades, if not more. And yeah. she started out co-hosting with Regis Philbin, RIP. Yep. Then she was with Michael Strahan for a bit, then Ryan Seacrest, yep. and now him. I don't, I, who is Kelly Ripa's husband? Mark Consuelos, the oh, sure. uh, soap opera star. Right. I will say, I don't mind watching that man on TV. No, he's good. You know, he's, he, he's, he's smooth, good. he's charming, he's gorgeous. And I guess I wonder, it's like, does a couple hosting a TV show together mean that they are the perfect couple or just secretly a horrible, awful couple? Ooh, it's like Thanksgiving dinner 
levels of good best behavior every morning in front of all of America. And then y'all go home together. Yeah. This is a thing. It's like I could see myself making some kind of creative work with my partner. Sure. But it would be no more than like two hours a week. But if I had to <laughs> be on set with him all day and then like go home with him and we fuss over who's ordering what for dinner, yep. I'd like, oh my God. You know what the hardest part I think of working with someone, working with a partner is, is that you have all the same stories from the day. Exactly. So you get home <laughs> yeah. and you go, how was your day? And you go, it's like, I don't know about you, you saw it. You were there. <laughs> yeah. If you had to host a daytime show with your wife, what's the name and like, what's the theme and spirit of it? Is it fun and quirky? Is it emo and heartful? Is it Ooh. banter, comedic hijinks? What is it? That's that's a good question. I think, so my wife is uh, writer and book critic Maris Kreisman, and it'll be like all, all her interest, because I think she has better taste than I do overall. Okay. So it would just be like her telling me what's good uh, in the morning. <laughs> And that's that's what it would be called. It would it would be called uh, Maris. What's good? <laughs> Maris, what's good? I listen, with I'm with Maris it. and Josh, and she would be like, "Oh, I watched this TV show while you were like in the other room, uh, screaming into a pillow about a basketball playoff game. <laughs> you should watch this." <laughs> On that note, we have to decide which version of you won. Okay, and I will say. Well, gosh, is it you or you? It is, it's you. <laughs> oh, this is huge for me. Sorry, me. <laughs> Would you like to give an acceptance speech that your other you could hear? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, thank you so much for having me. First of all, I want to thank you, Sam, for having me on the show, yeah. uh, the whole team. Um, I want to thank my wife, Maris, for telling me what's good. Um, and... You know, I want to thank Netflix wow. for showing us the importance of knowing your limits. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Bjork because now I have I an image in my head yeah. of you in a swan dress with a stool on your head, mm -hmm. talking to yourself in the mirror, thanking yeah. yourself, just hyping myself up, <laughs> giving me the, giving myself the like. Boogie Nights, your great big beautiful shining star <laughs> speech in a Bjork dress. It's, this is called. Yes. That's the name of the special. It's Bjorky Nights. <laughs> Bjorky Nights. Bjorky Nights. Oh my God, I love it. Josh Gondelman, you can find his stuff everywhere. Look for his special very soon, uh, and support if you can, if you will, the work that uh, he and other TV writers and movie writers do all day, every day. We appreciate y'all and what you do. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! <laughs> I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, 
I'm telling you, you belong, and I'm telling you, you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight, and the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? Culturegeist. Culturegeist. You're listening to Culturegeist. Culturegeist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culturegeist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. Hey Sam, love the podcast. My culture guys this week is a line from Housebroken, which is a show where Lisa Kudrow plays a poodle named Honey that leads group therapy for the neighborhood animals, and then they all get into shenanigans together. In one of the new season two episodes, there's an evil character named Ruby trying to take over Honey's life. Honey, you're in danger. Ruby wants to kill you and take over your life. What's going on? What is she doing here? Another dog, voiced by Clea Duvall, starts to figure out that Ruby's up to something. When Clea's character confronts the evil dog Ruby, Ruby exclaims, Oh, honey, you've got your paws full with this little duffel pump. She's two potatoes shy of a mash. Yeah, talk therapy has its limits, and I can't legally prescribe. Oh, well. Just keep thinking about what a great weird insult it is to call someone duffel pump, and then one-two punch it with two potatoes shy of a mash. (gasps) Honey, she just looked at me menacingly! It's such a fun insult, and the episode is written by Clea Duvall, who was in Veep, directed The Happiest Season, and is a co-creator of Housebroken. And I'm sure this came from her super creative brain, and it's indicative of the super fun humor in this show. And I hope more people watch Housebroken on Hulu so we can all start calling each other duffel pumps, since it seems like we've really been missing out by not doing that. Also, just quick note, according to the internet, Pedro Pascal is going to play a hairless cat in a new episode soon, which feels wild, and I am here for it. Hi Sam, Danny Baker here, um, English guy living in Australia, long time listener, first time caller. Um, my culture geist is something that's been in my head for 24 years. Um, the 1999 rom-com starring the late Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles, 10 Things I Hate About You. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. Loads of bits that are really good in it, but there's one bit where Bogie Lowenstein is having a little party and everyone's about to crash it and the doorbell rings and Bogie says, oh, that'll be Nigel with the brie. Must be Nigel with the brie. (laughs) And mayhem ensues. Ever since then, for 23 years, if anyone ever mentions brie to me, I can't help myself. That'll be Nigel with the brie. And if someone gets that, it's a friend for life. 
Anyway, thanks. Love the show. Bye. Hi, Sam and the rest of the Intuit team. My name is Christina. I'm from New Hampshire. And my culture geist is that there are only two episodes of Magic School Bus, the original Magic School Bus, that have any cultural memory. Uh, Now, I was a 90s kid. I grew up with Magic School Bus being played on the little TVs that they would roll into your classrooms whenever we had a substitute teacher. Cruising on down Main Street, you're relaxed and feeling good. Next thing that you know, you're seeing. And I could only remember two episodes of the show, and it really bothered me that I couldn't remember any of the other ones. And so I started this little study among my friends, strangers at parties. I think I did a poll on Twitter once. And my theory was that if you asked people to recall an episode of Magic School Bus, they would only be able to recall two different episodes. One is when the Magic School Bus goes into a body. That's Ralphie's bloodstream. Could we travel through his bloodstream to get to his throat? Absolutely, Dorothy Ann. And the other is when the Magic School Bus goes into space. I remember being traumatized as a child because in that episode, I believe that there was a plot line where one of the kids is out on Pluto and there's a risk of their astronaut suit depressurizing um, and they may freeze to death. But they don't, obviously, because it's a magic school bus. But so I have asked so many people you know, tell me which episode of Magic School Bus you remember. And they always either say going into the body or going into space. The only time that this theory has been proven wrong that I can remember is I asked a friend and he said that he remembers the episode where they went into the sewer system, which I refuse to believe exists because I refuse to confirm my own research with any sort of Googling, I don't believe that that episode exists because there literally are only, there are only the two plot lines of Magic School Bus. But he also, as an adult, works in water quality maintenance, so we'll forgive him for that. Oh, water. What goes around comes around. A veritable merry-go-round of moisture. To the bus! Thanks so much, and uh, I'm curious if, if my theory proves right with you and everyone else that listens to this show. Thanks again to Christina, Danny, and Weston. Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. And be specific. The more specific you are, the better. Just send us a short voice memo at Intuit at Vulture.com. Intuit at Vulture.com. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zen. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. And our music 
is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, who never needs to use AI to make a song for himself because he's good at that on his own. All right, listeners, we are back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Till then, be good to yourselves. All right, bye. Bye.